0: Hi, Chris.
1: Hey, Karen.
0: How are you doing? Not too bad. How are you? Doing well.
1: Doing well. I can't believe this is our third episode already. Neither can (laughs) I. I remember only two and a half weeks ago saying to you on the spot, can we record a conversation today so I have content to experiment with? I can't believe it. And you presented it to me as
0: a practice. And little did I know that it's going to be the contents already.
1: Yes, I did. And then I just proceeded to editing. I was so fastidious thinking I could hear the rough edits. Your volume is lower than mine. We need a better medium and the list of all of these. Criticisms went on and I keep thinking to myself, well, this is just something I want to experiment with to see if we can actually do it. And then I also remembered from years ago as a brand manager, my boss back then who was a good mentor of mine. When we were about to launch a product, she said to me, it will never be perfect. You've done the best you can, launch it. Otherwise, your competitors will beat you to it. So with that in mind, I thought, well, done is better than perfect. So let's just get it over and done with. So there, we beat the bullet. and Here we are.
0: Which is ironic because what we're going to talk about is...
1: Yes, yes. I think it is worth unpacking where this perfectionism comes from. Because in itself, it affects our mental health. And I know for myself, it really messes with my head. And I remember... When I was in hospital, we are given a list of therapy session topics for each time slot the next day. One day, I saw a topic on perfectionism, and I thought, hmm, I didn't know that that was related to mental health, and I attended that session.
0: You're talking about perfectionism. Will you give me an example of what perfectionism is?
1: Can you give me a simple, simple scenario? that will give me a picture of what is it. I'm glad you asked because when I went to that session, I could only relate that to I always want everything to be excellent. I always want everything to be great. Apparently, perfectionism manifests in other ways as well. For example, and I can see this for myself, there are certain things that I don't want to get into or I don't want to do this task because I don't know how to do it well or do it excellently so I'd rather not do it I'd rather not try that apparently is a form of perfectionism or you when I try to do something and I can't be excellent at it then I just stop I just stop doing it altogether so apparently that's also perfectionism
0: so is excellent equal to perfect
1: Perfectionism is, I think, at a higher notch. Excellent is good, but when you start to strive for something really extremely of a high standard, that it makes it almost unachievable, and you're never happy with the result because you feel like, I can find something wrong with this, so I'm still going to improve on it and keep improving on it, and then you're never done with it, then that's what makes it unhealthy.
0: So let's say it's a rating of 100% that's perfect.
1: I guess because it's measurable, it's easier to differentiate whether it's unhealthy or healthy. Okay. But when it's not measurable and you have this high standard that you have no way of measuring except based on your perception, I guess that's what makes it un- unhealthy. And by whose standards? When I was in that therapy session, I started to think about where did I get these unrealistic standards from? How did I come to perceive that this is not good enough? So I started thinking about the story that my dad used to tell us kids. I'm going to try to translate this as well as I could because he told this story in our native language. There is a rice peddler walking outside and a boss said to his employee, Can you ask how much this rice peddler is selling the rice for? So the employee went outside and talked to the rice peddler. And then he came back to the boss and said, The rice peddler said it depends on what kind of rice you're after. So the boss said, what types of rice does this peddler offer? So the employee went out again and asked the rice peddler and then came back to the boss saying they have type A, type B, type C. All right, the boss said, so how much for type A, type B, type C? Oh, I'm going to go back and ask him again. This exchange went on and on, and the moral of the story that he was trying to say is, well, if you had asked all the pertinent questions in the first place, then you wouldn't have to go back and forth to the rice peddler and have all the information in the first instance. The moral of the story is, foresight you need to have foresight you need to be always prepared think about what's going to happen next what is the next question i need to be prepared with all those answers but for me this led to anxiety every time i have a task i always think about okay what could happen next How am I gonna plan for that next scenario? Oh, but this this scenario can happen so I need to have a plan B. So I'm always thinking about what could go wrong or what can happen next and I need to have a plan B, plan C, plan D, all of these contingencies in place and it didn't help that my father's favorite reprimand is to call us idiots. One time when we were very young, I was probably five years old, we were in a movie theater and my sister and I took off our shoes. By the end of the movie, we couldn't find our shoes. And our dad called us idiots for that. When I want to enter school contests, he would always say things like, why bother? You'll never win anyway. So if I know I'm not going to win anyway, why would I even try? That's another manifestation of perfectionism. And because of this constant reprimand of my dad calling us idiots, I felt like I grew up thinking that if my dad calls me an idiot, then it must be true that I am an idiot. And I feel like that's a secret that I held on to. And by making sure I perform extremely well and set very high standards, Nobody will know that I'm actually an idiot. The
0: standards, it sounds like, is something that your dad already set for you. It sounds like it's a game where you're the players, including your dad, and he's the one
1: who knows the rules of the game. Yes, in a way, yes.
0: And he's letting you play it without letting you know what the rules are. Yes. This is the standard, but you don't know what it
1: is. But you'll know when you didn't do it. Yes. And you wouldn't think that you'd have to be careful inside your home, feel unsafe, blowing your nose within his vicinity, within his standards. That's being an idiot. With him telling you not to join any contest
0: because you're not going to win anyway, he's saying that my kids are idiots. That's the starting
1: premise. My kids are idiots. Without having to say that, that's how I perceived it. As a child, of course, your parents are like the gold standard. Whatever your parents say rules. They're always right. So today, in an attempt to hide my secret, I'm always relentlessly striving for extremely high standards. I have this fear of being criticized. I don't want to feel the pain of being blamed or being judged. and feeling ashamed because bottom line I have this fear of being found out that I am an idiot and it has molded me to be in constant state of needing to prove myself. I need to prove myself. I need to prove that I'm not an idiot. I need to fool them into thinking that I am actually great. I'm actually excellent. That I excel in whatever I do and this led me to have an insatiable need for validation and assurance because I feel like I could never tell whether I am excelling or I am doing great. Someone else has to tell me that I'm great or I'm doing a good job because I never know whether I've hit that standard.
0: When we were in school, it must have been easier because there
1: were the grades to show you
0: if you were hitting the standard.
1: Yes, that's something that's measurable. If I study hard and I hit a hundred percent mark, then I know that that's perfect. 97% is not good enough, 95% is not good enough. It has to be the highest mark. When I was in uni, when I was in college, in this calculus class, we had a midterm exam. I studied really hard that I found it really easy. In fact, I finished way ahead of everyone else. Everyone else was complaining to the teacher how difficult the questions were. And the teacher said, okay, if it's too hard, then I'll give you some bonus questions, which are trivia questions about the university campus. And I was thinking, well, I don't know whose bust is displayed in the foyer of the Arts and Science building. I don't know the answers to these trivial questions. They're really trivial. But I'm confident enough that I did a good job with calculus that I didn't bother answering those trivial questions. So I submitted my paper ahead of everyone else and everyone was impressed that I finished way ahead of them. And then when we had our next class, the teacher revealed the top three scores. I came in third, but with a score of 100%. I did not answer any of the trivia questions. So that means the 100% was purely on the calculus questions. The teacher made sure to take note that I was the only one who actually had a 100% score in calculus. I was furious. I was furious that I wasn't number one because a perfect score for me is not enough if there's something higher than a perfect score, regardless whether it's relevant or not. But anyway, I digress.
0: There's a good point in that where the standard is if it's calculus,
1: you have to do well in calculus.
0: It's more important to get the calculus answers right.
1: Yes. Right? I'm glad that you approached it from that perspective because that made me realize that the reason why I felt angry was most likely because my father would have said, well, that's trivial. They're not important. What's important is calculus. File a complaint because this is about calculus, which makes me believe that my standards were based on my father's standards. Or what you perceive are your
0: dad standards.
1: Correct. Because he
0: hasn't really laid out, which is not fair to you, right? He'll just call you an idiot. Yes. But he never told you, okay, these are the things that are okay to do. These are the things that are not okay to do.
1: Yes. So I'm always second guessing, what would my father think? What would my father's standards be? That's probably the reason why I never played a sport in my younger years because my dad was never athletic. If I hear the word idiot, if someone calls me an idiot, then I'm thinking, okay, there's something
0: lacking with how I thought something through. Like it's mental. Yes, in my
1: father's standards. In your dad's standards. So physical. How
0: can you be an idiot with physical ability? Let me give you an example. Let's say you're not a fast runner. And you know how in high school we have those activities where we're pitted with each other. Yes. And you have to run like a certain distance. If you're not a good runner, does that equate to being an idiot?
1: If I'm going to second guess my father's standards, if I can't win, Why did I even bother? I should have known that I wasn't good enough. And if I didn't know that, then that makes me an idiot. And so as a result today, this excessive drive and self-imposed pressure caused me to feel constantly on edge, tense, and stressed out. And this manifests mostly at work, where if you do a good job, you get a promotion or you get a better job. So I feel like My perfectionism or my excessive drive to achieve extremely high standards plays out in the workplace. And is that a
0: good thing or a bad thing? They hire you to create something, to come up with something, to finish a task or to come up with a product. And it's driving you, which is what their expectations of you, I think it's a good thing.
1: For me, it becomes unhealthy because it it has physical manifestations, I'm always suffering from anxiety. If I don't get affirmation, if I don't get validation, it leaves me constantly on edge, stressed out. It messes with my mind thinking, okay, how can I do better so I can get approval? How can I do better so I can get validation? And that's what makes it unhealthy
0: you have to know how to draw the line and say it's good enough. Because of your dad's standards, you have just been left second guessing if you're doing the right thing. And I think that's what you're doing with work.
1: Yes, that's exactly what I'm doing with work.
0: Even if it's good enough, you're still
1: second guessing if it's enough. Yes. And also, that's the reason why I have this insatiable need for validation and reassurance. Only after I've gained that validation will I stop and say, okay, if other people think it's good, if other people think it's great, then I can stop now. I've done a good job. I was never capable of saying to myself, I've done a great job. And you're only doing this with your professional life? Not that you've mentioned that. When I go to the gym, when I'm with my personal trainer, even when I struggle, I will still push myself to make sure that my personal trainer is happy with my performance. Also, I took up golf at the ripe old age of 35. (laughs) When I first started, I remember no matter what I did, I could not make contact with the ball. I went to a lot of ladies' clinic, and that was not enough for me because I felt like I'm still not good enough. I went to one-on-one coaching session and only when I felt confident that I could go out on the golf course did I start playing out on the course. Golf is a good sport, I guess, because golf is about your own performance. You have the handicap system. You only need to be better than your average. And yet, when participating in district competitions, I was always on edge. I was always tense. I could not hit the ball right because I'm representing our golf club. If I don't win, then I'm letting them down and I'm not gonna get their approval. They're gonna hate me. So I just stopped doing it. Because again, right? You're gonna fail. Yes, because I felt like I'm failing the club. But I don't have problem competing every Saturday on the regular competitions of the club because I'm only representing myself and I'm only competing based on my own average. I play golf because I enjoy it. There are also a lot of other perks that golf gives me. I enjoy the feeling of looking at my shots when it's really far and straight and long. That gives me that feeling of happiness or accomplishment. And that's different. But when I participate in district competitions and represent the club, then that's when I feel like I need other people's approval. You're good at competing, actually. And by the way, you do have to mention that you are winning. I just win monthly competitions at the club or Saturday competitions at the club or a trophy competition in the club. It's not based on other people's approval. It's only based on my own accomplishment. But that's an
0: accomplishment,
1: right? Yes, but it's something that I do for myself rather than something to gain approval of others. I'm able to enjoy it without that need to win. I don't want to play golf where it makes me feel like I'm at work or I'm trying to get someone else's approval.
0: Okay, that's great because that's the purpose of it.
1: Correct, yes. So in response to your question of how does this play out in other aspects of your life, mostly it is at work. And mostly it is within the context of when there is someone else whose approval means something to me.
2: Well, I just want to let you know
0: for what it's worth. You are a perfect friend for me, so I will validate you as much as you want it's not easy to have 40 years of friendship you know it's a relationship and sometimes you don't realize it because you're dealing with your issues just as i am dealing with my issues but you're always there you're a good friend good person and don't ever forget that oh that means a lot karen oh
1: thank you means a lot you know All throughout my life, I've always wondered, why do people want me as a friend? Why do my friends say, hey Chris, I've missed you, it's good to see you again, or I'm happy to hear from you. I've always wondered why, there's nothing special about me, I've nothing to offer, I'm not good enough. I'm an idiot, why would you want to be my friend? And funny thing is, if your dad
0: said, Chris, you are such a good friend to all these people, you're awesome, then you'd believe that. But if we said that and we were saying that, it was hard to accept, right? Because you were only looking for your dad's validation.
1: Yes, that's right. That's absolutely right. In one of my sessions with my psychologist, she suggested that I write a letter to my father. It wasn't because we had an intention of sending it to him, but it's just putting my feelings into writing and expressing how I feel, how my upbringing now manifests in my daily life, or the impact of my upbringing on my daily life. So I wrote the letter saying in so many words, because every time we did something wrong as a child, he would always yell, calling us idiots, I grew up believing that I'm an idiot and it felt like a secret that I need to hide. I'm constantly thinking I have to protect and keep this secret. I asked, do you really think I'm an idiot? Was there ever a time in my life when you were proud of me? Have I done anything at all that would make you proud and say, I did a great job? Because I can't remember any situation as a child or even as a grown-up when you actually said to me, I've done a great job. And I feel like because I've never heard that from him, and I've only heard from him that I'm an idiot, that I never reached the standards that he has set for me. And I am in constant pursuit of reaching those standards. Did you send that letter to him? I didn't actually intend to send that letter, but I felt like I need to send this to him because I need to let him know. So I did, I emailed that letter and it was a good thing that I was already living in Australia at that time. He responded to my email and he said all the right thing, and he apologized for making me feel that way. And I actually really felt that he was a father in that letter. And in a way, I felt like I got the validation that I needed from that email. And yes, he did affirm that he was proud of me. But what surprised me the most was when my sister rang me and asked me, what have you done to dad? Because he hasn't been sleepy. And he's been talking about this email that you sent him, which has been giving him sleepless nights. What did you say? Well, I told my sister and it didn't really surprise my sister that I wrote what I wrote because she felt the same way and she actually applauded me for speaking on her behalf and on behalf of our other siblings and in a way I guess that helped him change the way he parents even if we're all grown-ups now it gave him a different perspective it allowed him to see things from our view and how he contributed to who we are today it was good that I sent that letter because after that, I feel like I no longer needed to get his approval. I no longer felt the need to tell him about my accomplishments. That will now prove to you that I'm good enough, that I'm not an idiot.
0: I am relieved for you. I know that it's a journey, right? I'm sure there will be times when you won't even realize it, that you're looking for that validation.
1: Yes. And that's why I feel like mindfulness really plays a big part to that. And you know, my dad is my dad. He has his own issues. I'm not going to put a label on him. I may have theories about why he behaves the way he does, why his parenting style was the way it was. That's his business. It has nothing to do with me. I just need to keep that in mind. What I need to do is just work on myself. I need to be mindful when I need to pull back. I have to remind myself I'm not here for anybody's approval. If someone criticizes my work, it means there is room for improvement because no one is perfect anyway. That doesn't mean I'm an idiot. I need to remind myself to look at what I have achieved and that should be good enough for me to say I'm doing good. I really just need to let go of the need for approval from others.
2: Am I okay? is intended for mature audiences. As it discusses topics that can be emotional and upsetting stories experiences recollections opinions or insights shared by us are our own and does not reflect or represent the views and opinions of medical practitioners or other experts in mental health the podcast or any linked materials should not be construed as medical advice nor is information a substitute for professional expertise or treatments if you're struggling with mental health we encourage you to seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider. Please do not disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you or someone you care for is in need of immediate assistance, please find treatment locators and helplines in your country of residence, such as 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the United States and Lifeline or Beyond
1: Blue in Australia. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us through our socials and follow us. You'll find our handle in the episode description. Or, if there's anything you'd like us to talk more about, you can email us through amiokemail at gmail.com. If you have friends or family who you think would be interested in what we share, please tell them about us. They can find our podcast in any directory they get their podcast from. And please go on and rate us. It will let people know about us and find us. Once again, thanks for listening. Cheers.